Praise the Lord. Some of you know the story, um, and it might, you might not want me to tell you it, because you've heard it a hundred times maybe over the years. Well, probably not a hundred, maybe a couple. For those of you who have known me for 25 or 26 years now, if you're still here at New Hope. But I'm going to share the story because it fits in right with what we're doing. And I, I, I can't, I always thank God for this uh, very often in my life. And some of you know, when I was three years old, I, I don't know what happened to me. I mean, I was three, but I suddenly became ill, and I was losing blood and I, internally, and I was hospitalized for 16 days, 16 days at Deaconess Hospital in Cleveland, Ohio. It's not even there anymore. It's an office building, for crying out loud, but I know exactly where it is on 25th. And I, I only have a couple memories from there, but I can tell you this, that when I was there, I received a lot of blood. Because if I didn't, I wouldn't be here, plain and simple. But I received a lot of blood as a three-year-old kid. And I do believe firmly that God healed me because one of my memories of the two is that I was laying there in that bed all hooked up in that hospital bed and, and my Uncle Peter, Aunt Pauline, my mom, my dad, and my pastor, Pastor Pankowski, were there and they just reached their hands in through those, those balusters or those slats in the, the side you know, of that, that crib bed and laid their hands on me. And I remember some of them feeling cold, by the way. But anyway, and they prayed for me. And I do believe that was a turning point. I do believe that was when God began to work his, his, the miracle of healing my body and stopping that internal bleeding. I don't know that, but I believe that, and I receive that as being the case because of what I remember happening there. But God healed me. But I needed the blood. It was all about the blood for me. You know, one of the things that we hear so often is that, and, and, and maybe you've seen signs and you've driven by signs, you've driven by those mobile donation centers for blood, and they're always touting this thing, how it's so important to donate blood, to give your blood, because even one unit, which is approximately one pint basically, that one unit can save up to three lives. Just one unit can save three lives. Right? Did you know that my friend Jay over here, he probably, he probably has about one and a half gallons of blood in him. I know, listen, I'm, I'm not here to be gross or disgusting or whatever. That's not what we're here for. But this is the reality, the truth of, 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 of physically, but also spiritually, as we'll get to in a moment. There's about a gallon and a half of blood in him, approximately. And about 8% of your body weight is blood. Did you know that? Nope, you didn't. Well, that's because I looked it up and I researched it over the past couple of weeks, and, and I know that, right? But it's a fascinating thing, and I started diving deeper, and I learned a lot of other things that I won't bore you, bore you with. But it's incredible. But what is the purpose of blood? What is the purpose? Oxygen. Life. I'm hearing these one-word answers. Blood is there because it sustains life. It is that thing that carries throughout your body into every organ in your body everything which it needs to function and exist. Without blood, you're not going to make it. Just like without oxygen. But when you breathe oxygen in, it isn't going to get to the organs and the cells that need that oxygen unless you have blood that is moving and that is healthy. Amen? Blood sustains life. In fact, the Bible tells us that it is life. Quite frankly, 
in the Old Testament. And so when we're talking about the blood, we have to keep in mind that there is no way, no how that we can possibly live without blood. And I know that firsthand because of my own experience and my own story where God healed me, but I was bleeding internally. And if I hadn't received blood, I wouldn't be here today. It's that important. It's that critical to know that blood is everything. It's all about that. And you know what? That as we approach the Lord's Supper and we get ready to get there at the end of service, please note, as I mentioned, that these donation centers say you'll save up to three lives. That's because they can separate blood and use different parts of it for different treatments and to remedy different things, right? It's amazing. It's fascinating. And yet, when we stop and think this morning as God's people who have assembled in this house to celebrate communion what Jesus did, we remember that the blood of Jesus doesn't just save three lives. It has saved millions of lives and it has the power to save millions more. That's how powerful The blood of Jesus says to save lives, to save souls. Millions, not just three. One drop of His blood can wash away and does wash away every single one of your sins, past, present, and future. One drop. Not even one drop. A a, a tiny fraction of that drop. It is that powerful, that precious blood of Jesus that we were singing about. And in the Bible, God did something amazing. When you look in the Old Testament, and, and, and we'll get to Hebrews. My text is in Hebrews 9 this morning. And before we get there, I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible, and you should, or if you have your app, that's fine. But go to Hebrews chapter 9, and my text will be cha- verses 12 through verse 28. But the focus will be verse 22. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to read it along as we go through the sermon. I'll read along in the portions of that text, right? But the Bible, in the Bible, please note... That God personified blood. Might sound weird, but He personified blood in rebuking Cain after Abel's murder. And it was murder. He killed him intentionally, right? Your brother's blood cries out to me, God said to him in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 10. And after the flood, God instructs Noah, you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is, and he clarifies and defines and explains what that is, it's blood. Don't eat any meat that has blood in it. You still shouldn't do that today. Right? It's not a good idea. Generally, that's not a healthy uh, option for you to do, right? Because you run the risk of, and that's why you have warnings in restaurant menus that say, undercooked foods that are consumed are a risk to your health because you can get all kinds of nasty stuff inside of you. Right, Andrew? Chef Andrew? Well, you're not a chef anymore. We joke around about that. But you know all about that. Right? Undercooked. You have to make that warning. And God says here, you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is, its blood in Genesis 9.4. And God reminded Moses further that the life of a creature is in its blood. All right? And it is the blood that makes atonement for one's Life. It's a covering. It's, it wipes away and washes away sin, right? In somebody's life. And that's in Leviticus chapter 17. And you'll find that stated in other places as well. So from this truth, from these truths that we just, just simply hear, there's so much more that I just shared with you. God instituted, He instituted the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. The blood of goats and bulls was used to purify the altar and to make atonement for the sins of God's people. You will find that throughout the Old Testament. 
And God instituted this system because we read in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, and it's in the middle of our text, but it says there, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no taking away of sins. Now, there's a theologian and a pastor, and he, he wrote this, and he, he's long been with the Lord Jesus. And, um, but John Phillips said this, he said, Today, many look with revulsion on the shedding of blood that formed such an essential feature of the Old Testament religion. They consider with equal horror the New Testament's teaching concerning Christ's blood. They shudder with abhorrence at many of the Gospel hymns that emphasize the efficacy of the blood of Christ. Those who scorn this, that shed blood, have their eyes blinded both to God's blazing holiness and to the dreadful nature of sin. Sin is a radical and terrible reality that calls for a radical and terrible cure. End quote. Powerful stuff. Look, the world and those who don't know Jesus, those who have not been born again and washed by the blood of Jesus, may not like to think or hear about the blood of Christ and blood in general in the Scriptures. But the writer of Hebrews tells us that it is only the blood of Christ that can cleanse us from our sins. Tell me, what else can cleanse us from our sins? Tell me. What can you do? Who can you go to? What can you buy? What kind of extra strength Dawn detergent can you find? What kind of hydrogen peroxide drinking solution that you can do to purify your insides out? You can't do it. You can't do it. Only the blood of Christ cleanses and washes away our sins. Someone, another man named Kent Hughes, he says that during the thousand years, and I'm just quoting because this is stated by many historians and of the Bible and Christians from all throughout history, that during the thousand plus years of the Old Covenant, during the Old Testament, there were more than a million animal sacrifices. Now, they say more. A lot of people believe multiple millions of animal sacrifices. Think about that. Over all those hundreds of years, those centuries, millions of animal sacrifices. So considering that each bull spilled a few gallons of blood and each goat um, a few quarts, the old, a quart to a few quarts, the Old Covenant truly rested on a sea of blood. Now, that's gross. That's disgusting. It is. It, it's gross. It's stinky, it's smelly, it's dirty, it's infectious, it's, it's nasty, quite honestly. And God's making a point and there's a purpose for all of this. And it was what God required as we saw from the book of Genesis on. And there's so many more scriptures in the covenant that, that reveal that and expose that truth to us. Chapter 8 in Hebrews teaches us that none of those thousands, millions of animal sacrifices ever really gained forgiveness for sins. You know why? Because you had to do it again. You had to do it again. The sacrifices of the Old Testament could temporarily cover sins. And they did. That's how God set it up, if you will. But they looked forward to a future fulfillment. It was all pointing to something that would be fulfilled once and for all. 
And for sins to be forgiven, there needed to be a new covenant relationship that was fulfilled, that was foreshadowed and promised by the old covenant. And so we're given in these verses the only effective remedy of sin in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 to 28. And and many others, by the way, in chapter 8 and on, and through chapter 10. Many verses there. And it's all about the blood of Jesus. Bought, sealed by the blood of Jesus, that new covenant. What does the blood do? What does it remedy? What is it, when we talk about our sin, what does it take care of and dispose of and, and, and forever take care of? First, if you look in verses 11 to 14, let's read these verses. It is a remedy that affects our conscience. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Your conscience. Does your conscience ever bother you? Yes. If it doesn't, you might not have one. <laughs> right? Your conscience should bother you, even as a Christian. It should bother you, right? And what is conscience? Think about that. There are many definitions and descriptions, and I don't pretend to have the perfect definition. And, and, and if you find one, share it with me. I'll, I'll, I'll listen. But I'll put it very simply, even for the kids that are here. Even for those of you who just need it very simple. I need it simple. Somebody said, and I'll never forget this, when they were teaching in one of my Bible uh, college classes, they were teaching about this issue and ethics and conscience and other things, and they simply said, it's your knower. It's your knower. I don't know how else, and that just stuck with me. It, stu- it just stuck with me. It's that, it's, it's that thing inside of you, I'll call it a thing, but it's that thing inside of you, your knower is that thing that tells us when something we have done is wrong because... because It has been informed and is ruled by God and His Word. Your conscience is informed. It's informed by something and it determines what you value. And based on those things that you value, whether you go against those values, like I value righteousness and God's Word and I will do it. And it's that thing that tells you and it says, the alarm bells go off. You know what? And it's not about, on one side of me is the angel, on the other side of me is, is the devil. Don't do it. You should do it. Don't do it. You should do it. I don't know what to do. Don't do it. I don't know what to do. Don't do it. I don't know what to do. Do it. I don't know what to do. And if that's not what the conscience is. The conscience is simply that you have this God-given thing. All people have this. And it gets affected, by the way, even biblically. And it can get, you can sear it. You can lose it. There's all kinds of things that can happen to your conscience. But everybody has a conscience. And it's informed by something. And it's either the good word of God themselves, this world, sin, corruption, all those things inform it, right? But when we're Christians and we're people of God, and before God even, we knew through the general revelation of nature and creation, a general sense God had given us, that we fall short of God's standard. 
The law revealed that over and over again. Creation revealed that, that God is great and I'm not. God is holy and I'm not. Over and over and over again. And our knower tells us that we have then this emotional, and yes, I'm using that word because I think it's accurate. We have an emotional response within us with the alarm bells going off in the form of distress when we don't conform to God-informed values. It's just, it's the truth. We feel something and we feel distress. Or when we do something right that lines up with God's will and His values and His principles and His decrees and His law and on and on, we feel, we feel something. Don't you feel a sense of relief? Oh yeah, like you, and then you're at peace, you're at one, you're, you're whole inside because you did the right thing and your conscience says, it's all good, it's all good. But often, when we do things that we want and we're living by the flesh and we're violating God's standard, our knower goes off, ding, 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 ding. Ah, oh, I shouldn't do that. Or I shouldn't have done that is usually what happens. Right? That's your conscience speaking to you. And then that results in us needing to have forgiveness. To have cleansing because we did something wrong and our conscience said, you were wrong. Ding, 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 ding. You were wrong. Ding, 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 ding. It's a form of distress and we feel that. The blood of animals was able to purify the flesh of an unclean person. But the blood of Christ is able to purge the conscience from dead works. Sin. To serve the living God. The animal sacrifices could not do this. And for the daily and annual sacrifices, they constantly reminded them of sin. Just look at Hebrews 10.3. Therefore, What happens here is that Christ not only removes the legal guilt of sin because the law is there and you broke the law and you go before the judge and he says you broke the law, you're guilty. But he also, the inward, or can I say, the emotional guilt of sin. What your conscience is always telling you, you're wrong, you're guilty, you were guilty, you're guilty, you need need forgiveness, you need cleansing. And, And blood's Christ affects the conscience and he purifies and he gives us that conscience that is cleansed from the dead works of sin to serve the living God. Only the blood of Christ can do that. It's not a philosophy. It's not a school of thinking behind somebody's school of teaching or approach to teaching. Even the gospel, even the word of God. It is simply the blood of Christ that will cleanse your conscience from dead works, from sin that you have committed and will commit. It's a remedy that affects the conscience. But secondly, the blood of Christ is a remedy that offers forgiveness. I just mentioned this because it flows naturally. We need forgiveness when our conscience says, according to the Word of God and when it's lined up with God and informed by God and His truth, that we need forgiveness because we're wrong. We're sinners. Verse 15 to 22. Verse 15 says this, And for this reason, He, which is Christ, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. The word that is twice translated here in the Bible, in verse 15, says covenant. If you read your Bible, it says covenant. It's a Greek word, diatheke. Not that you really care, but you should, right? It's also used twice in verse 16 and 17. Same word. But it is translated in 16 and 17 as testament. And it is actually the same word in all four locations in those verses 
And the reason for the two different translations are that in verse 15, the word is used religiously, in a religious sense, and so it's a covenant. And legally, in verse 16 and 17, and then it's translated as testament or will. Now that might sound like you're focusing on minutiae. It might sound like you're the details all the way here. Those are really, really important. And there are two truths that come out of that that we've got to grasp. First, in verse 16 and 17, a will demands what? A death. If there's no death, a will is not effective. Right? For where there is a testament or a will... There must also of necessity be the death of the testator in verse 16. This is the Word of God. For a testament or a will is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Again, that word can be translated will. If you have made a will and you're still alive, your will does nothing for anyone. Oh, it might get their mind thinking about the future, and maybe even for the wrong reasons, unfortunately. But it doesn't operate until you die. Now, the reference here is to a will that was made by a man who died, right? If he couldn't save anyone as long as he lived, it is, listen, it is not the life of Christ. As exemplary as it was, it's not the life of Christ. And it was perfect. It doesn't save you. It is the death of Christ that saves you. We don't want to think about that. I mean, we don't, we don't process that. We don't digest that. We, we love all the blessings we have. Oh, Christ was alive. He's great. He's still alive. But nothing saves you. The, if Jesus did not die, you would not be saved. You would not be born again. You would have no way of being one with the Father and reconciled back to Him through what Jesus did if He was still alive and never died. It wouldn't work. The, the will would not be in effect. The testament, it would not work. Secondly, forgiveness demands blood. And here we go to the religious aspect, right? There's legal actually connected to it as well, but it's religious. In verse 18 to 22, it says, Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept, or the, all the laws, the commands, to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. And then likewise, he sprinkled the blood both at the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. I hope you're following along. I know that this isn't like exactly the the most simple and whatever. There's a lot involved here. And I'm talking to you more specifically who are believers this morning. I really am. We'll get to that in a minute. But forgiveness demands blood. And so when, when, when you think about the picture... There's blood everywhere. I, I don't know how else to say it. Now, I don't like that, that picture in my mind. I don't like the feeling I get when I, when I, when I can visualize what that might even look like because I, I wasn't there. But there's blood involved everywhere when it was related to this covenant. And the writer of Hebrews quotes from the book of Exodus, of Exodus 24, and he tells us that the old covenant was instituted with blood. And from Exodus and Hebrews, we understand that everything of significance was literally soaked in blood. Half on the altar and half on the people and the scroll. It was not a pretty sight, as I mentioned. The law and the tabernacle were both inaugurated with blood. 
That's critical. It's so important. And from this lavish use of blood used in inaugurating these two great institutions, right? The law and the tabernacle. We're given this this principle found in verse 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Verse 22. It emphasizes the dependence on blood for two reasons, that Old Covenant in the Old Testament. Now listen, we're, we're going to get close to the end here, but listen, two important reasons to think about. First, it's because the emphasis is on the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of sin. It separates you from God, but more than that, it leads to, to death. We're saying that every single one of us deserves to die. And if you're visiting and you're listening to that song and you're thinking, oh, you're all clapping and thank you for the cross and every, and we pause. We, we don't clap at that point usually. We say, every one of us deserves to die. Right? We do. We deserve to die because of our sinful state and our, our, our un, unclean consciences because of the, the works of the flesh or sin. And we deserve to die. The Bible takes sin very, very seriously. I don't even... It, very, 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 very seriously. It's, 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 it's incredibly serious. More so, if I could just say this, more so perhaps than any other religion. Sin alienates us from the presence of God. Sin is rooted in the heart of man, the Bible teaches us. Sin cannot be removed by any self-help program. So no other religion has any viable help to offer for the removal of sin. And to cleanse our conscience. None. Sin is serious. And blood is involved. Secondly, the the importance here, and it's so important, is because forgiveness is costly. So that we could see how much it costs to have forgiveness and to be forgiven of our sin. Sin leads to death, the Bible says, and the payment for sin cannot be denied. Death is the payment. It will be either Christ's life and his payment, or ours. There's this old hymn that we sing, and we mix it up, and we sing it many times, and most of you know it. And I'm not going to quote the whole thing. I'll read a little bit. But what can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? That's right. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, I know nothing but the blood of Jesus for my pardon. This I see nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this I plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing, I guess I'm going through the whole thing. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Naught of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. By this I'll overcome. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this I'll reach my home one day. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Glory, glory, this I sing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All my praise for this I bring. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing 
can take away and wash your, your sins and forgive you of your sins, but the blood of Jesus. And lastly, thirdly, the blood of Jesus is a remedy. And that sacrifice and that forgiveness is something that does not need to be repeated. I stated this early on, and it comes full circle back around again. In verse 23 to verse 28 in Hebrews chapter 9, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. I know it sounds confusing. I encourage you to read that scripture. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, right? They're foreshadowings. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that, we should, not that he should offer himself often, verse 25 says, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world, talking about Jesus, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him, and he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Let's put it very simply as we narrow in and move towards the Lord's table. There is just one of two places for your sin. One of two places for your sin. Either your sin is on you, or it's on Christ. Who took it away and is unaffected by it. Well, he was for three days. Right? If you have not accepted the sacrifice of Christ, if you are not trusting Him as your Redeemer and because you recognize that you are a sinner and that you need to have cleansing and to be at peace with God, then there is nothing ahead of you but to answer to God as judge. You'll be given a fair chance one day. I want to assure you something, everyone that's here. You'll be given a fair chance to present all your works to God when you stand face to face with Him, right? And answer to Him as the judge, the ultimate, the judge of the universe, of all. And you'll do something. You will discover that God was right all along. You're a sinner, and without Jesus, you deserve to die. That's so mean. It's so harsh, Pastor Bob. No, it's not. There's a price. That's justice. That's right. There's a price to be paid for our sins, starting way back in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. And I have news, again, to remind you that God is always right. You can stand before Him one day. You can fall on your face. You can say, oh yeah, you are God Almighty. Oh yeah. And you can, you can try to squirrel your way out of it. You will not do it. You must have the blood of Jesus applied to your heart. And so today, if your sin is on you, there is nothing that can remove it but the death of Christ. And, and it was once for all. He did it once for all. That if, he, if you apply that blood, He will wash your sin. And it's good and effective forever. 
No more shedding of blood. You just have to die on the cross again. There's no more need to try as hard as you can to please God because you'll only fall short of God's perfection all over again. And even worse, and it doesn't even matter, somebody else's perfection. Jesus did it. And the price and work for your salvation is finished. That's amazing. That's awesome. That is incredible. That's life-changing. That's freeing. There's peace and hope associated with that. There is a liberty that I can, I can live my life and not constantly be condemned and rebuked and brought down and squashed down by the enemy and all the lies. But when my conscience convicts me because I'm living with, with, in prayer and the Word of God, and I go to Christ... And I say, yes, it's your blood again. I come and I, I practice all over again what, what 1 John 1, 9 says. And I've mentioned this before. And we have a spiritual catharsis that when we confess our sins, He cleanses us. We connect to Jesus and He flows through us and we have transfusions and we have new blood brought into us and we get purified over and over and over again in response when our conscience goes ding, ding, ding. Jesus did it. It's done. Hebrews chapter 1, going back to the first chapter, and in front of you, you have your communion cups, and before you take those, I have a couple words of instruction, so please don't take them yet. In verse 1 of chapter 1 in Hebrews, and through verses 3, the Bible says this. I'm reading from the New American Standard. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days... He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. Can I just say what you might already know? Jesus is God. And upholds all things by the word of His power. When He made purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Can I read that last sentence again? Maybe three or four times so it sinks in. When he made purification for sins, he sat down. He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When he made purification for sins, he sat down. At the right hand of the majesty on high. It was done. It was finished. He doesn't have to get up again and go on the cross. He doesn't have to do something to please the Father on your behalf again. It's done. It's finished. The work is over. He's resting comfortably, if I could say, next to His Father, who He obeyed, and He gave His life, and He spilled His blood to cleanse your conscience, to forgive you of your sins. Right? Once and for all in fulfillment of the requirement that without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sins how many times do you go to jesus to be cleansed it should be a rhetorical question non-stop frankly i go every day i don't know about you i'm sure you do i go a few times a day Because nothing but the blood of Jesus will cleanse my sin and cleanse my conscience and and give me the peace and that hope and that surety as the blood of Christ and that He's sitting at the right hand of the Father because He did it 
once and for all. Now, you can take that cup in your hand now. You can take this, right? But but let's read 1 Corinthians. Because we talked about this covenant, and Jesus made a covenant, and, and He told His disciples in Matthew 26, He said, this is a new covenant, right, that I'm instituting. And it's, and it's His blood. It's His body. If anybody needs a gluten-free serving, please raise your hand up high. Hold it up until you get served. All right, as I move along. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which He was betrayed, He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So do this. Now, he's talking about the cup of the new covenant, and it symbolizes the blood of Christ. Take note of that. I'm sure you know that already, but I'm reminding you, I must remind you, that it's this new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. He doesn't say you proclaim His life. I already mentioned that in the sermon. But you you proclaim His death in order that we might live. Amen? Verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Here's my few words of instruction, and there could be many given. You've heard a lot already today. One, please, don't partake in communion if you're not a born-again believer. If you're not born again, you have no right drinking this. And eating this. Oh, you know, the truth is, you can. You do whatever you want. But I would instruct you not to if you're not born again. If you haven't professed Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you believe that He died for you and that God raised Him on the third day and you know in your heart and you professed Him as Lord, if you haven't done that, don't eat and don't drink. Because it will be in an unworthy manner and because you will not recognize what this is all about. What does this mean in an unworthy manner? See, it means that you don't properly... And that's what the second thing you have to do is you have to examine yourself. What does that mean? I mean, we're sitting here right now. What does that mean? Does that mean that unless you're perfect, you can partake? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. But you recognize that in your imperfection, you have somebody who is perfect. And that by His grace and His strength, you will move and you are moving to do the righteous thing, which is to come under that fountain of His blood again and be cleansed. And in the process before you partake, make sure that you understand that there is a unity that this symbolizes in the body and with, the, with Christ Himself. And if you're not in that position, don't partake. It means this. It means that you properly regard the bread and the cup. That you understand what it represents, that it's Christ's death in your place and for you, and that you in unity with Christ and those in His body understand that you're part of something bigger than yourself. 
Can I give you an encouragement? Before we drink and eat, and you, you, you're thinking, hopefully, and you're looking in your heart, but worthiness in communion participation is not to be found in some kind of supposed level of personal righteousness in the one that's partaking. Your righteousness is filthy rags, Isaiah says. I don't care how you frame it. I don't care how you try to convince somebody. Your righteousness, your standard, is way short. And you'll never do that. And if you get to that point, oh, I'm good enough now. Oh, I'm doing this enough now. It's not, worthiness is not found in that. Worthiness is found in, in, in Christ and what He has done. Your worthiness is found in what Jesus has accomplished once and for all. Instead, it is a saint. Listen, the one who partakes is a saint, a child of God, who sins. I'm not saying you continue sinning. That requires examination. Because if you don't give up sin, maybe you're not born again. That's between you and God, by the way. But it's a saint. It's a believer, a child who does sin. We all sin in our lives. And we come worthily when we remember that our sins, your sins, my sins, his or her sins, whoever it is, and the cost that Christ paid to redeem them from its consequence. You remember that. We come humbly. We come knowing that we're, we're, we fall short because of the blood of Christ. He cleanses us. Maybe you need to do that right now. I'm going to pause for a minute before we partake. And let's keep it quiet. And we'll open the top after about a minute. And we will make sure that we're ready to partake and proclaim that only the blood of Christ that flowed from the incarnate flesh, the body, the God that came, the, the God who was incarnate in flesh, and His blood was there, was poured out for your sins. Only His blood. Examine yourself. Look in your heart, and then we'll partake. Amen? Hallelujah. If in the quietness, it's so still right now, you can hear your own thoughts and you can hear the stirring in your heart of things that prevent you from partaking, give it to God right now. Make it right with you, God, others, whatever you got to do to partake. And if in the stillness and quietness you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, you're cleansed. You're my child and I paid it for you. And, and, and you receive that and you offer up and you give over all those things and you're cleansed. You can partake. So let's open the top and let's access the, the bread if you haven't already done that. Lord, we thank you for this bread. Thank you that it's a picture and reminder that you came for us in the flesh.
And it also reminds us that we need you. We need to feast on you by reading the word of God, which is our sustenance. You are the bread of life that came and you sustain us in this way. But even more so, we thank you so much, Lord, that you came, you were obedient, and in our place, you died. And so we eat of this bread together. Uh, open the cup. Thank you, Jesus, for the new covenant that was established by your blood. Thank you that the old system is done away with. Thank you that once and for all you died for our sins. It's finished. We thank you for the cleansing your blood provides for our conscience. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you that it reminds us of the seriousness of sin and that it must be done away with in our bodies, in our lives. Help us, Lord, again, to repent and to lay down all those things that are a block to you and alien us from you. Father, I pray that we would just uh, remember and reflect on just how efficacious your blood is to make us right. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Let's drink this cup together. I know the praise team is probably wondering why they're not coming up, but our time is kind of gone. And they had a song, and I'm going to close in prayer, but if they wish, they can, uh, they can come up and uh, they can, they'll sing a song, and we can just listen along as we leave. It's just a, it'll be our prayer before we go. And um, I want to encourage you to, to listen to the words, hear the words, and uh, when you're ready, you can leave quietly. But I want to ask you for one thing as we sing the song, that when you leave, Make sure the door is closed behind you when you go in the foyer for those folks who are here so that it's not distracting and loud. You can feel free to do what you do out there, but leave the doors closed, please. Amen. God bless you. Have a good day. And let's end on this song as, a, as just a reminder and a prayer. Amen.